internet. I'm John Bailey, and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, it's back to watching stuff at home again because that's the world we live in. I <laughs> this has been a trying time for a, a new release uh, movie review podcast, but it is what it is. So uh, I'll be covering the Apple t- uh, TV Plus sh- movie Greyhound, which was slated to release in theaters. I'll talk about that. Uh, the HBO Max. Uh, series close enough from JG Quintel. Uh, I and I rewatched Scott Pilgrim vs. the World and The Rescuers and The Rescuers Down Under. So let's get this show started. Salutations, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Popcorn Junkie here for a little Netflix and chat. Alright. I'm going to be honest, folks, I have been very far behind in all the stuff that I want to watch on on uh, streaming. You'd think this would be the perfect time to really uh, buckle down and check out stuff, but, you know, gestures and everything is going on, and you can't re- and it's hard to be productive in all of the gestures go- things going on. But um, this week especially was not very uh, eventful in terms of watching new things. Because I actually spent a good chunk of this past week setting up a home theater um, in terms of, like, putting up the posters for it and putting the final touches on the home theater experience, putting the TV up, you know, making it actually complete. Uh, And I'll talk about this whole journey uh, in the discussion portion, but the first thing we watched as a family in our new home theater was this movie, Greyhound. And um, I actually I assumed it was a biopic. It is actually based on a 1955 book called The Good Shepherd. And the story is um, John- Tom Hanks, who co-wrote it, uh, is this first-time captain, well, first-time captaining a destroyer who's accompanying um, a British convoy back to England uh, in in the North Atlantic. And this was like right at the beginning of when America really entered the war. So they're still accompanying these convoys. And so what would happen is, and uh, based on my nephew's perspective as a World War II buff and uh, nerd, he this is pretty much exactly how this kind of thing went down. Even though the even though the people are fictional and the ship was fictional, this is how it went down, essentially. Um, a destroyer would accompany this convoy and help protect it against German U-boats attacking it. And Tom Hanks's d- character is uh, doing it for the first time and after finally being able to captain a ship himself. And it's uh, doing this convoy uh, attache and... <laughs> And he has to help help them survive and fend off the the U-boats, and it's it's a really solid movie. Like this, is, if you remember, this was actually slated for theaters. I think it was supposed to be like May or June, just before the pandemic really took hold in America, and is when the shutdown happened and there weren't any new indoor theaters to sit at that. Apple managed to get it as one of their Apple TV Plus exclusives, and and I signed up for it recently to give it a shot. It's only five bucks a month, actually. The issue is, um, 
you uh, you don't re- really get discounts uh, from things you buy in the Apple Store. It is literally just a couple of exclusives currently being hosted on there, like some new Peanuts show about Snoopy in space. There's that uh, morning show sort of behind-the-scenes series, uh, Central Park, which I'm ho- working my way through. Um, not a whole lot, really, to talk about on Apple TV+. Plus. And um, hope they may turn that around soon once production's able to reopen and they can make more stuff. But I don't know. It's not. It you you don't need to buy um, Apple TV Plus, especially if you're not already in the whole Apple environment, so to speak. But um, but yeah, this was still a solid movie, and um, yeah, it's he's a religious man. He's constantly praying. Uh, be it before, be it before meals, uh, that he never eats, honestly, uh, that's a big running thing throughout the movie is that he is so dedicated to making sure that his ship is running the course and he's fighting off of these U-boats that he neglects to eat all the time. Like, his, the, there's a messmate who comes up and he's like, this dude is just not eating any food. He's skipping meals all the time and it's just like, damn, man, um... But uh, the CGI uh, for the for the stormy seas is excellent. Like you you would have to be having much better eye for to discerning, um, fit, you know, the CG and no, but but it looks authentic and it, and it definitely feels authentic while you're watching it, and it's really tense, especially when the first U-boat surfaces. As soon as the first U-boat appears, it is just a tense, like, it's like you could sit there and turn into a diamond from all the tension going on. Ooh. And, um, at certain points throughout the the movie, the U-boats will hack into, essentially, you know, hack in, quote-unquote, but they'll tap into uh, their radio frequencies in order to taunt um, the ships that they're to, that they're destroying to get into their heads, and it's really interesting. Um, and and apparently that is something I don't know about that, but the tactics used by the U-boats here they hunt in packs. They're called wolf packs. One of the U-boats even has a wolf uh, insignia painted on it, and they would attack at night because it's easier to attack at night. And so all of this going on really. Uh, I mean, there's a certain point where Tom Hanks' character is actually getting bloody feet from the blisters that have formed from him being on his feet for so long. Like, this is, we're talking, like, days on end uh, that he's going through this. And, um... And eventually there's a, you know, he loses some crewmen who have to be buried at sea. And immediately following the funeral, there there's there, there's a there's an emergency flare uh, shot up, so they have to go right back into it, and it's really interesting. It it's a really well paced, um, well directed war movie. I think my biggest issue with it is that aside from Tom Hanks, nobody really stands out. This feels like a Tom Hanks picture, and it feels like it's the ho- Tom Hanks, you know, the Tom Hanks movie starring Tom Hanks and nobody else. Like there's um, Elizabeth Shue for like two for like a scene that they flash back to, but 
no, no, nobody in the crew stands out. They're all faceless, you know, soldiers. They might as well be red shirts on the Enterprise, you know? There's, like, one guy who's, the, who's like, the initial messmate, and after, you know, a certain point, even he is just, like, he, even he can't, um, even he can't really gain any traction in the movie. I won't tell what happened, but basically, yeah, it's, the, nobody besides Tom Hanks is really that memorable. Even his, like, second-in-command is, is played by somebody who's just immemorable. Nobody here uh, really stands out. And maybe that's because Tom Hanks wrote this as more of a, as like a single character piece. But like aside from Tom Hanks, there's like the German U-boat captain who's like, like, they are coming for you, Americans. Run while you can. The wolf pack is coming. Ow! Only it's in an old 40s radio. So it's like, they are coming for you. Americans, the wolf pack is coming. <laughs> Sounds like they're ordering something at McDonald's. But um, overall, if you get the chance to watch Greyhound, especially if you're into like um, uh, sub movies or naval battles, like that's this is the best looking one to date. And I think it would have done fairly well in theaters, but it got kind of saddled with being stuck on a less one of the lesser streaming platforms. And that kind of stinks. But um, if you get the chance to watch it, absolutely watch it. Uh, speaking of being stuck on a streaming platform, well, stuck. I mean, it's still, a f I think this is better than being stuck on HBO, on a... On Apple TV, I should say, because on HBO Max, J.G. Quintel's new show finally got the chance to air. It was produced last year, was supposed to be on TBS, and never never really made it to air. It was produced by Cartoon Network Studios. It, could, it was too adult to air on the main channel, and they probably could have done it for Adult Swim, but they ended up going to HBO Max after a year. And the whole premise here is we're following two, uh, a bunch of kids in their, well, three people in their 30s and one uh, woman who's, like, in her mid-20s. Um, J.G. Quintel, for, best known for a uh, regular show on Cartoon Network. And from what I've heard, regular show is mainly focused on life in your, tw life in your 20s, life, like, right after college or right after high school. And I never watched it. I never, I, that was just before I stopped really tuning into Cartoon Network. Like, I was into it well up until, like, the Chowder years and the Misadventures of Flapjack. And then by the time Adventure Time and Regular showed up, I was already starting to tune out. That era of Cartoon Network was not for me. And I think part of what killed it was 2009, they just pumped it full of live action shows. And I'm just like, okay, turns out Cartoon Network wants to, wants to be done, so well, I'm done. And then Adventure Time and Regular Show kind of brought things back, but uh, I never really tuned in again. I was also like, like almost about to graduate college, so <laughs> that is another issue. But, um... In this show, uh, you've got uh, two new parents, uh, first-time parents. Um, ah, crap, I'm forgetting the names already. Let me pull it up. I think it's, yeah, oh, sweet, I already had the page. Uh, Josh, played by J.G. Quintel. Uh, Emily, his wife, played by Gabrielle Walsh. I do not remember what she's from. Uh, 
She is from Paranormal Activity, The Marked Ones. And so this is basic... Oh, she was also in a couple of episodes of East Los High. Uh, for those who watched that, Shameless, Vampire Diaries, not a whole lot. This seems to be her biggest real role to date. Um, Jason Mantuk, and then they are roommates with uh, a divorced couple, played by Jason Mantukas, uh, who you may know, he's been in so much, but I know him best from How Did This Get Made, the podcast with Paul Shear and um, his wife, June, uh, Diane Raphael. Um, but Mantzoukas plays, uh, was, um, the sidekick in The Dictator, he was in The House, he's in Lego Batman, Big Mouth, uh, American Dad, Parks and Rec, um, Adrian Pimento on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Derek Hofstetler on The Good Place, he's been, he was even one of the homeless people in, uh, John Wick 3, and he is a, you know, he's been work, he's been a comic for years now, and he's really... He was also in um, uh, Dirty Grandpa as the uh, drug-dealing uh, clerk. <laughs> uh, he was probably best known for The League uh, as Rafi. And he was also in a couple episodes of Regular Show. So that's how he... So he and Quintel were already familiar. Um, uh, but he is divorced from Kim, uh, Kimiko Glenn from uh, Orange is the New Black, who is a social, uh, me social media socialite. Uh, oh, right. She was also Penny Parker in uh, Into the Into the Spider Verse, but um, she they're all, they're all like um, dealing. And the the major themes of this show are dealing with aging and the fact that they're not young and hip anymore. And every time they try to be young and hip, it ends up backfiring. So that to kind of settle into the fact that you know what, it's okay that they're not cool anymore because they're all their bodies are getting old, you know, older, and they're they can't really do keep up as mu as well. So it's like it's okay, it's okay. They don't have to um, be you know be the young cool people anymore. They can deal. And of course, a major theme running throughout the entire series is the fact that their dreams just never quite worked out. Like, um, Josh's whole thing throughout the... There's only eight episodes, sadly, produced. And hopefully, uh, HBO Max has them do more. But, uh, Josh wanted to be a video game designer, but his his big game kind of crashed during a presentation, and it, and it fell through. And, uh, his wife, Emily, want, kind of wants to be a singer, a uh, comedic singer-songwriter sort of thing, and she doesn't act with, a uh, uh, Bridget, played by Kimiko Glenn, and they're one, they're one, you know, that whole thing is still struggling to get off the ground. Meanwhile, Jason Mantzoukas' character is a professor of archaeology um, and um, history because he can't get his Viking uh, novel, uh, you know, published. So, I mean, we're, we're talking about people who have been pursuing their dreams, but have continually hit so many roadblocks along the way that there's, that they're just trying to make ends meet for right now. And while this is all going on, you've got all of the crazy sci-fi, uh, fantasy, um, adventures that happen to them. Like what, like what happened with advent with a regular show where yeah, it's something mundane, totally normal, nothing, nothing really, nothing really interesting. And then all of a sudden it just goes crazy. That's kind of how this happened. That's kind of the same energy here. Like, 
the final episode of this little mini-season is uh, a full 22 minutes, because it's mostly, like, two uh, 12-minute segments t- uh, running through, and then the, the, the last episode is a 22-minute full, like, full episode, and... It has them de- has them meeting with a humanoid dog hybrid genetic monstrosity, and uh, and uh, whose whose big thing is uh, Jim Carrey movies because it was a running theme through the episode that Jason Mantukis and um, JG Quintel's characters Alex and Josh were friends since high school. And they they would go, continuously go to medieval times because they saw it happen in the Cable Guy, and they would quote uh, um, Jim Carrey movies while doing this whole thing. And then eventually Alex gets bored of it because he wants to try and get his thing published. Damn it! And he's kind of kind of outgrowing this whole tr- childish tradition while Josh is holding on to it because he he desperately holds on to everything from his childhood and from his uh, young adult from his twenties because he's not ready to get old yet. And um, and so it's through this dog boy. Uh, that they kind of both find something that the other one was not giving them until uh, his creator uh, comes and kidnaps him again. And so Alex and Josh have to work together. But um, while this is all going on, you also have their, like, preschool uh, age, kindergarten age daughter, played by Jessica DeChico, who is a fairly prominent voice actress nowadays, best known for The Loud House, uh, where she's a bunch of the daughters, uh, she was Flame Princess in Adventure Time. Uh, she was Tambry in Gravity Falls. Uh, for those who watch that, give, if you give a mouse a cookie, she's on the new Muppet Babies. She's on um, uh, the Balls Masters. Ball Masters nine thousand nine. What the hell is that? Uh, oh, it's some Adult Swim show. It looks gar. It looks like garbage, and it sounds like garbage. It may not be. Who knows? Um, Yabba Dabba Dinosaurs. So apparently there's some new Flintstones thing that completely escaped my radar. Um, weird. Anyway, uh, Lego City Adventures, uh, Demon Slayer, Kimetsu no Yaiba, Hanazuki, uh, Full of Treasures, Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz, which is a series that was on Boomerang. Um... DC Superhero Girls, she's in, uh, as Star Sapphire, mainly. Uh, Angelo Rules, Legend of the Three Caballeros, um, where she plays, I think they're Donald's nieces, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but yeah, apparently they did a new, uh, thing with the Three Caballeros where it's all fantasy-related and they have to go around the world collecting magical items. Um, at any rate, yeah, Jessica DeChico plays, um, Josh and Emily's daughter, Candace, and she'll, more, she's more often, like, the comic relief character, because she'll say silly things, or she'll won't understand adult situations, and, like, and Emily and Josh have to try and, like, um, earmuff her and whatnot, but, um, you know, like, they're, in the final episode that they made, uh, so far, she it gets really into Training Day because their landlord is an ex-cop, uh, played by Danielle Brooks, who I believe was also from Orange is the New Black? 
Yes, uh, she plays Tasha Tasty Jefferson in Orange is the New Black. So you got two Orange is the New Black alums in this show. And, but you also got interesting uh, guest stars, like Matt Mercer shows up at one point, Judy Greer uh, plays a voice in an episode, Steve Agee plays a voice, um, Weird Al shows up at one point. Uh, who are the other ones? Um trying to remember uh the wiki is more uh is more um comprehensive but not a lot is really um like there's not a, like the imdb is kind of unfinished it's really weird how nobody kind of putting the effort in to kind of document this whole thing but um let me see da -da -da, roger craig smith kate micucci shows up david hasselhoff uh, plays, makes a cameo at one point. Dave Foley, George Lopez, Sherry O'Terry, Rachel Dratch, Seth Morris, Lauren Lapkus, Rich Sommer, Brent Weinbach, Diamond White, Jessica St. Clair, Horatio Sanz. So, I mean, you've got some fairly major, um, especially like improv comedians showing up. That's a bunch of like, how many SNL alums was that? You've got um, Sherry O'Terry, Rachel Dratch, Seth Morris. Uh, I think maybe Rich, was Rich Sommer on SNL? No, he was on other stuff. Um, but Horatio Sands, it's like, yeah, you've got a whole bunch of good comedians and comedic actors showing up and guest voices, but in the, they don't really say who plays what, um, which is, but you just, so you kind of have to pay attention to the voice. Like, you would know, like, you know when, uh, Jerry, uh, when, um, Judy Greer shows up, you could recognize her voice. And you could recognize Steve Agee's voice. And Weird Al and David Hasselhoff play themselves. Uh, Chris Parnell also shows up. And, and you can easily recognize his voice. And, yeah, so it's very... It's very it's got a great uh, lineup for, like, guest stars and whatnot. And the, and the plot lines are really cool and funny. Um, the whole, you know, Candace's school is, like, this uh, very... Um, like hippie-ish school that doesn't really care to that doesn't really concern themselves too much with like curriculum unless the plot needs it um josh wants to be the cool skate dad uh da -da -da, room parents josh inadvertently volunteers to be a room parent which catches the attention of a murderous female con artist um the first episode has uh uh, Emily, Emily going around to um, open houses so that she can kind of uh, get the idea of like, oh, wouldn't it be cool to like own her own house because they can't afford it, and then eventually ends up in a and because she does this uh, at a, at an open house featuring uh, a father who does the same thing and to get away from his family and a young preteen pop star, they end up forming a sitcom family and it becomes this nightmare scenario where they're in a, stuck in a sitcom. Uh, da -da -da, first, um, I, the Chris Parnell shows up as a part of a conjoined couple. Like, not conjoined twins. Like, the, this couple actually got themselves conjoined because they were so in love, and now they've broken up. And so um, Chris Parnell is trying to date Bridget, and uh, inadvertently, and she gets so freaked out, she calls him Alex, because they're divorced, but they still, like, have this weird connection. So they're, like, not br completely broken up. 
they're just not officially married anymore and and then Alex gets, has more in common with uh the conjoined part the conjoined woman than she does than Bridget does with the conjoined with uh, Chris Parnell's character um there's a magical snail with a time traveling hat where like a speed hat where if you tip the hat it allows you to go faster <laughs> but it uh causes you to age age more rapidly it's really interesting. There's a robot tutor who makes you watch ads. It's uh, it really is such a interesting. I love this idea, and I'm a, and from what I hear, it's regular show was pretty much the same kind of energy, just featuring younger characters and more non-human characters. Like our main characters are a raccoon and a and a blue jay, and that features a ghost with a giant hand on its head. And so I need to check. I'm going to check out, uh, since it's on HBO Max, I'm going to try checking out regular show as well at some point. But yeah, uh, close enough. If you haven't already, go check it out, especially if you're a fan of regular show. Um, next up, uh, it's been about, it's ju- coming up on the 10th anniversary of Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. It came out in August of 2010. And for the anniversary, AEW hosted a live reading of the script featuring a majority of the of the original cast. Uh, the guy playing Young Neil couldn't show up. And despite the fact that she's on YouTube, uh, she's a big old YouTuber now, Brie Larson wasn't able to show up, uh, sadly. But um, Anna Kendrick, Chris Evans, uh, Brandon Routh, uh, Jason Schwartzman, Michael Sarah, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Allison Pill... Uh, the guy who played Steven Stills, even Aubrey Plaza, uh, for this, even though she had a minor role, she showed up. Um, and then they had Anna Kendrick read for Brie Larson's role, which makes it a little more interesting because that essentially means she's playing Scott's sister and his ex. So make of that what you will. <laughs> she even makes a joke about it in the um, live read. Um, and so afterwards, I went back and rewatched the movie and damn, does it hold up. Uh, it's just absolutely visually stunning. Uh, the humor is nice and quick and fast-paced, which comes from both Brian Lee O'Malley's comic and from Edgar Wright's style. Uh, the cast is phenomenal. Uh, I love Ellen Wong as Knives, and Mary Elizabeth Winstead is iconic as Ramona. She just nails that role perfectly, just the sort of deadpan bel- delivery as she, as she and Scott kind of unravel each other's baggage. Um, Michael Sarah is probably still the weak point. Uh, I don't think he's, like, the best fit for, um, Scott. I'm trying to think who would be a better fit. Um, uh, shoot. I, I don't really know the young kids now. Damn youngins. I don't know them newfangled kids. I can't, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I feel like a Scott should be a bit more... Like Michael Sarah is so mumblecore that he's and soft spoken that I feel like and I feel like Scott should be a bit more douchey, have a have more of that douchebag energy since that's his whole character arc is realizing he's a douchebag and be not and being not a douchebag anymore, um, which I'll get into. But um, oh, uh, Kieran Culkin as Wallace is also just so iconic. He is. so so perfect in that role it's beautiful he makes the movie um i will say if you haven't read the books definitely read the books if you whether or not you watch the movie because they go even further in depth into sort of breaking down these characters that the movie can't really get into as much because of the length i feel like you could still do like an animated series and adapt each of this each of the graphic novels 
uh, the seven parts into its own season, and it would be fun- even better because you would have so much more time to develop these characters. And like the, the like Scott's parents show up in the graphic novel. There's uh, I think Aubrey Plaza's character shows up uh, off and on since she's um, Stephen Stills' ex. Uh, Knives Knives has a whole family. Like there's in uh, the fourth issue. Uh, Scott has to fight Nice's dad, who's this, you know, like, n- essentially ninja, even though they're Chinese. Uh, but he's essentially this, you know, assassin-style character. Then he has to fight her, fight her dad to kind of, you know, prove that he is honorable or something like that. I forget, I have to reread the book. But he really is, it really is a phenomenal series. And, um, like, the movie opens up admitting the fact that Scott's dating, Scott's in his 20s dating a high school girl. And, um, as the movie goes on, you still, you you continually are told facts about the, like, how he treated, um, his, uh, oh god, what's her name? Allison Pill's character, um, shoot, I have forgotten her name. Oh boy. Um, Kim Pine. Uh, they treat uh you know how he treat how he mistreated kim pine and they and you know how their breakup how bad their breakup was and so that's kind of fueling why she's always you know calling him out and not and um you know giving him crap is because they used to date and scott was a douche about and scott was a douchebag and broke up with her <laughs> and um uh, they mentioned other breakups that he's had, so he has this longer history. It's only Ramona's that we really know about because of the evil exes. And, by the way, the evil exes, uh, all of them are fantastic. Young Chris Evans, uh, the guy who played, um, I forget the guy who played, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Patel, Matthew Patel. Um, oh, God, what's, what's his name? Matthew Patel. Satya Baba. I believe it's pronounced. Uh, he's also Shivrung in New Girl. And um, so he's gotten some good uh, roles since this. Because I think he, this was like his first real major break role. And then he never really got the chance to... He apparently showed up on Eastsiders and Sense8 as well. So good for him. He's he's still doing stuff. He's he's British too, which I, which threw me off in the in the live read because he completely threw me off as because I've only heard his American accent. Um but then he breaks into a Bollywood number and <laughs> with complete with the dance sequence and it's beautiful. Um Oh god, that's right. Thomas Jane was one of the vegan police officers. Because uh, Brandon Routh gets his psychic powers from being a vegan until Scott tricks him into drinking half and half. Um, Chris Evans plays Lucas Lee. Uh, Mae Whitman, the voice of Katara on a- Avatar The Last Airbender. And um, uh, is it Anne? Anna? What's uh, her? Anne Veal from uh, Arrested Development. So, <laughs> interestingly enough, uh, one of Michael Sarah, another Michael Sarah project where they used with the air characters used to date and now they their characters are ex are dated the same person um my woman's fantastic as roxy too i love her like i just noticed this recent re- rewatch that she's also texan she talks with she talks with that twang she talks with that twang in her voice <laughs> oh i love her um the only exes that never really got the chance to shine were the Katianagis because they and they got truncated to give more time to Gideon, played by Jason Schwartzman, who's just 
delightfully douchey. He is so like, oh, Scott, buddy, don't worry about it. No hard feelings. Even though you know there are, uh, even though you know he's a manipulative douchebag and you're watching him be manipulative, but he sugarcoats it so hard and it's, ugh. oh, God. But going back to how douchey Scott is, the whole arc of the series and the movie is showing also how his breakup with Knives kind of messed with her head because she actually really liked Scott. And even though, like, he would tease her, but and you knew it wasn't really, like, a good relationship, she still genuinely liked and kind of, and if not, if not loved Scott. And for him to dump her just to date this manic pixie dream girl messes with her head for the rest of the movie until he realizes by the end he has to apologize to both uh, both uh, Ramona and Knives for cheating on them, uh, cheating on Knives with Ramona and inadvertently, like, essentially cheating Ramona because he still hadn't ended his relationship with Knives and uh, realizing that he was in the wrong for that. And that's when he and Knives, and, uh, you know, are back on good terms is realizing that even, you know, even though he broke her heart, it, he was clearly in the wrong, you know, all you know, no matter how much she loved him, he was clearly in the wrong. And it's, um, not to mention the fact that Scott has to overcome his own judgmental behavior towards Ramona, especially, um, at the midway point, like, leading into the third act, uh, like, because you see it specifically after the fight with Roxy, and after, well, first after the fight with, uh, um, I can't remember his name, Todd Ingram, uh, Brandon Routh's character, he begins to really, he begins to really grow tired of having to fight so many people just to date Ramona, and he acts all judgy towards her, and, uh, Ramona call you know, calls him out on it, because he was douchey, he has baggage, and she's willing to admit, the whole, she admits throughout the whole movie that the whole reason she moved to Canada was to get away from all of her baggage, because she is a heartbreaker, you know, she, she doesn't, it, you know, she ends up in these relationships and doesn't mean to hurt anybody initially, but, you know, she wasn't exactly a great person. And the, the graphic novels go in, and the, you know, the graphic novels go into this even further. Uh, they're, they, they do, because Scott and Ramona actually take a longer break in the comics, and, like, Scott goes to, like, a beach house or something like that. Like, there's so much in the comics that never got the chance to make it to the screen, which is why I think they need to do, like, an animated series for Netflix or Hulu or maybe HBO Max. Who, uh, well, yeah, uh, Scott Pilgrim was made by Universal Pictures. They, no, they could put it on Peacock now, because that, that's a thing. I don't know. I don't know if Universal still owns the rights, but uh, I think a Scott Pilgrim the series would be a great like thing and make it. You could make it in. You could make it in. Um, well, I guess you could kind of make it like uh, OK Go or one of those cart later day Cartoon Network shows. I think that would work. Um, but uh, you or, but you include like little bits that make it feel like you're playing a video game. Because that's the other thing, too, that need to find a way to bring back Scott Pilgrim the game, because that's fantastic. That's such a wonderful beat-em-up, and it's been lost forever because of it was a oh, download-only title, and they haven't really arc been able to off-up, and nobody's been, you know, re-releasing it 
to um, newer consoles. So whoever owns the rights to Scott Pilgrim, the game, please bring give it back to us. We need it. So yeah, um, there's a lot of really good and interesting themes about reali- you know, realizing how bad of a person you are and becoming a better one. And um, uh, my good buddy Nash over at Radio Dead Air, shout out to Nash if you're listening. Hey, uh, he uh, pointed out on Twitter recently, <laughs> uh, serendipitously since I just rewatched um, the movie and uh, did the 10th anniversary thing. Uh, he was pointing out how uh, Scott Pilgrim is essentially kind of like Fight Club for nerds. And damn it, he's not wrong. Yep. Nope, he can't argue with that. Like, Fight Club has these amazing, uh, well, not amazing, but he has this deeper themology behind it, specifically about toxic masculinity, and that's completely ignored because dudes just want to think, yeah, I'm a dude, bro, F uh, the system. I'm pushing back against the system. It's, you know, every douchey libertarian's first, mo- you know, f- favorite movie. And Scott Pilgrim has a tendency to do that for, like, incels. They think, oh, yeah, Scott, Scott's like this lady killer and everyone likes, wants their own Ramona or or their no, or, or worse, their own knives. Be wary of the guys who want their own knives and, uh, instead of Ramona. Ugh. I mean, the Ramona thing is already creepy because that just perpetuates the whole idea that women are there to fix your lives, and which is subverted by the fact that Scott Pilgrim's whole journey is that Ramona can't make him a better person. He has to become the better person. But nobody pays attention to that part. Huh. Weird. Anyway, read the books. It goes even further into detail on the fact that Scott's a douchebag and he has to live up to the fact, own up to the fact that he's been an asshole and make amends. Anyway, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Movie's still great. Highly recommend. Um, recommend the comics even more. The other things I watched, uh, the second movie we watched on our home theater was The Rescuers Down Under, but I rewatched the original after that because I wanted to go back and see it. And... Uh, I, I know it's based on a series of books, and I never heard of them outside of the Disney movie. Let me get the name. Based on the book series by uh, Marjorie Sharp. Never heard of the series. Uh, published in 1959 initially. It's a British series. Okay, that would be it. Um, Prisoners Aid Society is what it was initially called, an international organization of mice dedicated to, to accompany and brighten the lives of prisoners. When the old clerk informs delegates about the case of a Norwegian poet imprisoned in the Black Castle, a moderator lady suggests changing the traditional rules of the organization and try to rescue him. Despite the clerk's doubts, the company decides to try and carry out her proposal. To achieve this, they know they will need a Norwegian mouse... Nils, who knows the language of the captive, and they know that Miss Bianca, a privileged white mouse, will travel to Norway by plane, accompanying her owner, an ambassador's son. So it's wildly different from uh, the movie we got. Um, That's interesting. Uh, But I still like the idea that Miss Bianca is this socialite, well-to-do lady mouse uh, who's up for going on these missions. And uh, I think what they did with her in the movies is super neat. And uh, Ava, uh, Ava Gabor is wonderful in the role. Um, uh, and um, the whole idea in the movie is they help out children instead of just prisoners. 
and they um, rescue, uh, set out rescuing children. Uh, well, specifically children in the movies, but I'm, I'm assuming maybe more. But um, they are seated within the UN in New York, and uh, they have to, and so they meet up. Uh, regularly to discuss uh, a rescue uh, assignment that comes across. And while this is going on, Bernard, Bob Newhart's character, is a lowly janitor there who's superstitious about the number 13 and whatnot. Um, and uh, they get a message in a bottle, which is shown traveling from Louisiana to New York in these really well done, but kind of kind of cheating watercolors for the opening credits. The opening credits, instead of being fully animated, are done in these watercolors. And it's all pan and zoom, and it's stuff that, like, anybody can do with a, a copy of Microsoft Movie Maker, or some Windows Movie Maker, I should say, and, um, you know, some paintings. So, I mean, it's like, okay, you know, that's kind of cheating. Uh, there's a lot of cheating, quote-unquote, in terms of animation in this movie. But um, the this rescue aid society is really interesting in concept. Uh, we mainly focus on Bianca and Bernard, but um, you see mice from all around the world. Interesting enough, there's a delegate from quote unquote Africa and Arabia, which are entire regions. Meanwhile, there's an entire there's a mouse specifically dedicated to the city of Vienna. The, na the way they went about choosing these locations is is wild. Because um, they'll have specific regions in Africa. Like, I think there's a Moroccan uh, delegate. But then they just have, quote-unquote, Africa. And it's a brown mouse with a big afro. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Not exactly the best representation. Although it's not as racist as Disney is no hasn't been known to be. So, I'll give it that much. It's just really lazy, I'll, I'll say. Um, but, uh, Bianca is like this beautiful, um, uh, mouse who's like catches everybody's eye and like every, you know, like all the dudes are super into her. Uh, and meanwhile, Bernard is this klutzy, nervous, uh, superstitious janitor. And so, uh, Bianca, who volunteers initially, despite the fact that the head of the, uh, Rescue Aid Society says, Oh, you know, you, we're so used to this being a man's world, and, like, you're a very nice, you're a very beautiful young lady mouse. You shouldn't be doing these terrible, terribly dangerous assignments. <laughs> Sexism. <laughs> um, but, uh, Bern uh, Bianca takes the case, and, uh, uh, she and uh, the commissioner, essentially the the speaker, says, "Well, uh, you should probably take somebody with you, a fellow agent." And she decides to take the janitor because it's very clearly obvious that she's kind of into Bernard. She thinks he's charming and sweet, and um, she's super into him. And he, and he and she tell knows that he's into her. So it's really cute their relationship, and that goes into the next movie as well. But um, they're tasked with rescuing Penny, an orphan who was initially from New York, uh, who ended up in Louisiana in the Devil's Bayou. Uh, uh, to know what is it, Devil's Bayou, or what is what is the name of the bayou? 
It's the Devil's Eye is the d diamond she's tasked with getting, but she's in... Nope, Devil's Bayou. A lot of deviling going on in that. There's the Devil's Eye. It's located in Devil's Bayou. Makes sense, I guess. But um, a pawn shop owner played uh, named Madame Medusa, who is wonderfully acted by... What's her name? Uh, Geraldine Page, who is listed as one of the best actresses in Hollywood history. Um, she's been in so many uh, productions, and she's uh, got a Tony nomination. I think she got a, a look. Uh, she got a BAFTA award uh, as well. So she's been a, a theater and uh, movie actress since what? How long? Nineteen forty-five. And she's so she's been doing both. Uh, she started doing TV and movies in the fifties, and then uh, she did it all up to her death in nineteen eighty seven. But um, yeah, she's been in a whole bunch of stuff, and she's been listed as one of the most uh, iconic actor actresses in the industry for for that time. So even back in the seventies, Disney was nabbing these fairly well known names. So you think that like it's a big thing now that they're getting like Dwayne Johnson and um, uh, what's the other one, uh, Kristen Bell and Adina Menzel and these you know major iconic names that people re that people actually know but they were getting these names back in the day too like Ava Gabor was an iconic actress as well uh Bob Newhart was a long-standing comedian uh from that time so he would so they were getting these big names even back then uh as well as their usual stable of character actors like um Pat Bertram shows up in this as one of the one of the uh swamp mice but um oh they're muskrats that makes sense um but yeah, they show up in Devil's Bayou in Louisiana because Madame Medusa has... It, uh, they go to investigate. They learn that um, uh, Penny has been having trouble getting adopted from the uh, orphanage cat. And uh, they that he leads them to Madame Medusa, who uh, is revealed to have taken her to Louisiana to find this diamond. And as the story progresses, we learn that she tricked Penny into helping her out because Penny is small enough and nobody was going to miss her. So she's the perfect sort of free labor. And um, Penny was sort of, um, you know, feeling bad because nobody was adopting her. And she was feeling, you know, like, like a loser. And so she figured uh, helping out... Uh, you know, she would run away from the orphanage, and she got you know, uh, kind of kind of picked up by this by this pawn shop woman, and is forced to do this labor for her. And now she's stuck down there, and she can't get. And she wants to try and get back home. And so it's B B Bernard and Bianca there to help them. And in this universe, apparently mice can talk to kids. I don't know if it's a, if they could talk to all humans. I am very curious about how this universe's work, anth anthropomorphism works. They never really uh, go, to go into it. But in both movies, we know that at least they will, are willing to talk to children. We don't know if they can communicate with uh, hum humans in general. But... Um, yeah, they they land in they got they got Orville the albatross to fly them to Louisiana, and uh, he gets shot down because uh, the uh, Snoops, uh, Madame Medusa's sidekick, sets off his fireworks and he gets and he gets you know blasted with one of them and uh, he makes a crash landing, and that's where they meet um, Ellie Mae and and Luke. Uh, played by Jeanette Nolan, uh, 
who's a TV actress, it seems like. Although she did play, she was in a film adaptation of Macbeth back in the 40s. Uh, and Pat Buttram, our favorite uh, Green Acres, co- one of Ava Gabor's Green Acres co-stars, who was very iconic in the 70s era of Disney, all the way up until, um, did he, when did he die? 1994. Okay, but um, he's be- but he's best known for being in uh, the Sheriff of Nottingham and Robin Hood. He was one of the Hound Dogs in Aristocats. He was uh, Chief the Hunting Dog uh, in Fox and the Hound. He was one of the Tomb Bullets in Foo Friend Roger Rabbit. His final voiceover role for Disney was in a Goofy movie as the uh, sort of proprietor, maybe not proprietor, but um, hit, but the uh, kind of host. Of the of that backwater Disney park uh, possum park, uh, uh, he's the one who's like, here is uh, what what was the what was it um, where's that where's the name of it uh come on um, shoot um. Lester's Possum Park. And he's like, and now the music stylings of Lester. And, and, you know, he introduces these animatronics, uh, these really crappy animatronics. But, uh, yeah, Ronald, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Ronald Reagan uh, showed up apparently. Apparently, um, Pat Bratram used to hang out with Reagan um, and would also uh, spice up some of his speeches. So that's interesting. That's weirdly random tri- bit of trivia but uh pat buttram is best known for being the sort of uh southern uh he's from alabama and he had that sort of whistle to his voice and he had that drawl that he that he was in it that um that he you know in a, in his in his voice that he that he brought to all his roles he's fantastic as this drunken muskrat who drinks mooch moonshine out of the jug and he's like here this one packs a wallop <laughs> you know this will get it'll give you a nice kick. Um. Anyway, uh, yeah, they 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 send uh, Bernard and Bianca off with Eben Rude, named after what is he named after? It's I think it's a br- outboard motors. Yep, Eben Rude. Eben Rude, <laughs> the dragonfly. So he's named after a motor uh company because he is a motor. <laughs> essentially and so bernard and bianca meet up with penny uh they plan to rescue her only they get um held up because they need some help and ellie may and luke get the whole pot get a whole posse together with a rabbit and a and an old turtle with a confederate hat and a mining mole and a mole with a miner's helmet and an owl and a preacher owl (laughs) oh by the way his name is deacon owl (laughs) These characters are not developed at all, but they're so wonderfully, like, just wacky in terms of their inclusion. And so, um, the rescue is delayed, and Penny has to recover the devil's eye, and which she finally does, thanks to Bernard and Bianca's help. And, um, then Medusa tries to go off of it by herself, and, uh, holds them off with an automatic shotgun point. I, I say automatic shotgun point because she does have that, uh, uh, what's it called? Um, let me see. Uh, it's parts of a gun. I need to know. I'm not familiar with, uh, 
how, you know, like gun, like the individual parts of the gun. So I can't describe, I'm not sure how best to describe it. Um, I think it's a magazine. Hold on. Uh, Let me see uh, what it's called. It's mainly seen in like the AK-47 is where you see this kind of um, um, part. I think it's the magazine. Let me see. Come on. There we go. Uh, Yeah, the magazine. So she's got a shotgun with a full magazine. So she has a she somehow has modded a shotgun to include a magazine in it, <laughs> and she shoots this at uh, everybody she can. And uh, I say, and I know it's a shotgun because it's got the bird shot in it, with that causes all the individual holes. <laughs> oh God, this movie is so crazy. Um, but yeah, Medusa. There's even a point in the movie where Medusa like actively ch- chastises Penny, like, but really sweetly. She's like, "Oh, you want to be adopted? It's so cute. Who would want a homely little girl like you? Oh, you. <laughs> mm, just mm, it's so heinous. She's like, um, she's like uh, Cruella Deville, but without the fur uh, obsession." She's she's more obsessed with diamonds instead of furs, uh, but yeah, uh, and of course this is weirdly a faith based movie because uh, both the cat and Penny talk about having faith that someone will that you know God will essentially will is watching over you and is there to help you. Um, it's not specifically religious, but it's definitely like spiritual in that regard, and um, and so like Penny is also seen praying. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, it's very, it's fairly, it's got some religious undertones in it that, you know, aren't, like, terrible, but it's just like, you know, you never really pay attention too much to it. Um, the climax is, uh, is a blast, because all the critters are, fi- Evan Rude finally gets back to the critters, and he leads them on a charge to, against Madame Medusa, and they all fight her, uh, but yeah, like I was mentioning, this movie will has a has a tendency to recycle stuff. This is during the dark age of Disney and the Xerox era, as it's called. Um, I really want to get into this kind of backstory stuff. Um, I've been rewatching so much old Disney that I kind of want to do uh, uh, one of those um, deep dives uh, retrospectives, like I did with tried to do with Godzilla um, and Pokemon earlier this year that fell through. Um, I'm gonna try and work on those uh, at some point, but. Um, at any rate, uh, what was I saying? Um, yeah, they recycle animation to the point where um, they're, they're taking these kinds of shortcuts, like uh, the fireworks scene where Orville is shot down is compl- is all live-action fireworks. I think it's B-roll from Disneyland, if I'm not mistaken. It looks like it, but um, it's and then he's animated over the fireworks being shot. And then... Uh, at one point, Bambi and Bambi and his mom show up down in Louisiana. <laughs> like, so Bambi's mom has been in America, like, like, like the north, like the northeast or something like that, or Appalachia, wherever Bambi takes place. Um, she's been in India. 
where she's hunted by Shere Khan, and then she and Bambi show up in Louisiana. <laughs> so she and Bambi sure do get around. Uh, yeah, so yeah. And they also recycle a sequence where a bird flies and nestles in on her chicks uh, from Bambi as well. So, I mean, that's the best-looking animation in the movie is the recycled bits. Everything else looks really cheap and unfinished for some reason. Even though this was kind of the early Don Bluth and you got to see, like, early bits of his style in this it just, yeah, that 70s era, the Xerox era, just was always cheap-looking, sadly. And that's why I feel like you could get, you would be best suited to remake stuff from that era, like Pete's Dragon, like uh, Black Cauldron, this. Um, they're doing Robin Hood uh, for Disney+. Plus. Like, this is the era of Disney to retackle, because this is the stuff people probably forget about. Uh, Aristocats, um... Uh, da, 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 da. I mentioned uh, Robin Hood, this movie, Black Cauldron, Fox and the Hound. Like, so, like those are the lesser-known Disney titles, even though a bunch of those are su still super good. But those are the ones you could easily improve on. But, for, but you know, Bob Iger's more concerned about dollar signs than creative endeavors. You know? <laughs> uh, and at any rate, yeah, Rescuers is still fun. Highly recommend it. Uh... Not highly. Not great. It's not great. The sequel definitely improves on it. Um, the sequel is, like, right in that early stages of the, of the Disney Renaissance. It's right after uh, Little Mermaid and right before Sleeping Beauty. Not Sleeping Beauty. Um, um, Beauty and the Beast. And so you've got this beautiful animation with even some integration of CGI for, like, the Sydney Opera House at one point and uh, McLeach's truck. And then um, the only problem, the main problem is that uh, Cody, the little Australian boy, is clearly speaking with an American accent. Meanwhile, his mom and everyone else besides McLeach uh, in Australia is speaking with, an, with a regular Australian accent. Even the animals are speaking with Australian accents. And meanwhile, it's like, golly gee willikers, I sure do love being Australian. Uh, it's very clearly an American actor. Uh who couldn't even who couldn't even be bothered to try an accent, oy. But um, also he free solos up a cliff to rescue a giant eagle. So yeah, we're just throwing out uh you know any sort of attempts at realism in this. Not that there were too many, but even the last one attempted uh, followed basic basic laws of physics. Um. But yeah, George C. Scott is iconic and wonderful as McLeach. He is so just absolute like like some of his best bits are when he's like singing "You Get a Line, I Get a Pull" or um, uh, "Home on the Range." He's just like singing these songs, but they have this menacing tone to them because he's so just <laughs> hateful. Oh God, he's wonderful. Um, and then, like I said, this whole concept, Rescuers, would be perfect for, like, an animated show on Disney Plus or something. Like, why not? Um, but yeah, as in terms of the main characters, they bring back Ava Gabor and uh, Bob Newhart, as well as the voice of the, like, the speaker of the Rescue Aid Society. And um, they introduce, uh, the whole plot uh, with them now is Bernard and Bianca have been uh, agents. He's now gone from a janitor to a full-fledged agent of the, of the Rescue Aid Society and the representation of the U.S. And um, he's and he they've been together for long enough. They, they, I'm not sure if they're still supposed to be the 70s or if we're supposed to believe that it, it's, it's now the 90s because they don't really establish that this is like a period piece or anything. 
Um, but uh, uh, they've been uh, as as an agent couple for long enough that Bernard is ready to propose to Bianca, and he keeps fumbling the proposal until the end. And meanwhile, when they arrive in Australia to rescue Cody, after a really cool sequence where um, one of the mice, because um, Cody is rescuing a mouse from a trap because he was used for bait, and the mouse uh, bring you know goes to the Australia goes to uh, you know a branch location essentially of the Rescue Aid Society to you know point you know to file a, 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 a kidnapped person kidnapped uh, persons report essentially. Um, and then that transfers uh, by telegraph over to the Marshall Islands, which which is picked up by a, a, a crashed World War II plane, which is then sent to Hawaii and like a military facility, and has to and, and the mice have to distract the guy running the computers in order to read the message and relay it back to New York. And so they're picked up. Uh, that message is picked up by the Rescue Aid Society and. Um, Bernard and Bianca are tasked with the rescue, and it's when they arrive in Australia that they meet up with Jake, who's a kangaroo mouse, who continually, like, hits on and and impresses Bianca, and Bernard has to kind of overcome his own, uh, feebish, feeble, um, not feeble, um, sort of, like, this sort of, like, nervousness and stand up for himself and finally propose to Bianca. Because it's very clear that Bianca's, like, impressed with Jake, but she still very clearly cares about Bernard. And it's very clear that they're, you know, still in love. And um, she's super... I love Bianca's character. It's, it's, it's kind of missable. You kind of think of her as, just like, a girly socialite mouse, and you think she's kind of stuck up or something like that, because that's the usual stereotype. But Bianca's, like, sweet and caring and is able to, like you know, comfort these kids and, um, and, you know, that, and is able to use, um, people, you know, like these, like these attractions that people have to, towards her to kind of get people to help her. And, um, you know, it's just all niceties because, you know, she doesn't really expect anything from it because for all, you know, she only really cares about Bernard. <laughs> You know, she, that's the one she likes. And um, the last movie was a bit sexist, and uh, this one, not so much. Um, they don't even bring up the fact that she's a girl, that she's a g-g-g-g-g-g-g-girl um, at any point. But uh, it's more about, like, sort of how Jake is, like, trying to impress Bianca and uh, Bernard kind of stepping up and, you know, proposing to her like he's been wanting to do this whole time. Um Everything else besides those bits is kind of forgettable. Uh, if it's not George C. Scott or if it's not Bernard and Bianca, it's pretty forgettable. Like the the animals being held by McLeach, they're kind of cloy, especially Frank the frilled lizard. Uh, he, they're kind of like no, there's no reason for them. They never show up again. They show up once and then they're never mentioned again. Like we don't even know if they got out. They could still be sitting. They could have still been sitting there by the end of the movie. Um, trapped in those chains and cages but um but uh this time around instead of orville they have his brother wilbur the albatross played by the wonderful john candy and uh he is a fantastic and very funny whereas orville's a fairly throwaway character in the original movie he shows up drops him off in louisiana and flies away and is never and is only seen again at the end to take him on their next mission 
Um, Wilbur is there throughout most of the movie so John Candy can, you know, make goof-em-ups and be silly. And he's fantastic. And he's wonderful. Like, especially because when he lands um, in Australia, he break he... he has a back injury and is taken in by the doctors who use a shot who use a shotgun to fire um two sh- two shots of uh um uh um 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 what's it called uh why can't I remember the terminology for it uh but it fire the um anesthetic into him uh and apparently my since my nephew is a vet tech as well he knew he knows that that they fired ex- pretty much exact the exact point in a bird that you would just that you would um apply the anesthetic <laughs> um so yeah john can if it's not john candy if it's not george c scott or if it's not bernard and bianca it's pretty forgettable but the animation is gorgeous if nothing else so it's beautiful to watch uh very very much in that height of that 90s era disney um or at least the early days of it, when it looked absolutely gorgeous. Um, also, like, th- there's this one comedic bit where George C. Scott is trying to cook some eggs so he can have it, because he's thinking of how to deal with the kid. And uh, his his pet monitor, Joanna, is constantly stealing the eggs, and it becomes this, like, Chaplin or uh, Buster Keaton-esque bit where he's keeping the eggs away from Joanna, and she's trying to find ways to sneak the eggs from his lunchbox. <laughs> Uh oh god, he's he's it's if it's a wonderful scene. And George C. Scott plays it perfectly. Uh because he's still thinking to himself trying to get these eggs and he's fighting off Joanna. <laughs> oh god, it's I, I love it. Anyway, so yeah, that's what I watched this past week. Um and uh, we're gonna take a quick break and we're gonna talk about that home theater that I got now down here in the basement of uh stately Bailey Family Manor. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm Melody. I'm Max. I'm Dexter. I'm Diana. And I'm John. And together, we host the book review and discussion podcast, Living in the Stacks. Every two weeks, we take the time to read a book and then meet online to discuss it. We'll talk about what we liked, what we didn't like, and if we'd read the book again. Whatever the genre, whoever the author, whether it's good or bad, we'll read anything once. So if you want to join us, you can find us, Living in the Stacks, available through Gumby Cat Networks. My initial plan here was to actually have my pa- one of my parents on to discuss this uh, whole process because this is, has been months in the in the works, and um, they, neither of them were really keen on like being like being interviewed or anything like that or being on the mic. So I just kind of picked their brains and the <clears throat> and uh, how the process kind of went down, and um, basically. Um, the main thing is we had to refurbish. We are, they were already planning to refurbish the basement so I could move back in, and in the process they wanted to turn the main room in the basement into a home theater. So this was kind of in the works already before I even moved back home, and so the initial refurbishing for the basement and the refinishing and the contract work um, for the home theater side was about seventeen thousand um, dollars which is only about half of the job they ultimately did. And um, uh, on top of that, they shopped for some, you know, nice recliner 
uh, seats. Uh, one of them has a cup holder. And so, I mean, we're not talking like super elaborate, but it still costs $2,000 for the furniture. Plus, on top of that, you've got $500, $525 specifically for the Samsung TV that, um, that we got. And um, it could have been even more because my dad was interested in a $700 TV. Um, plus, my mom uh, went out and got $50 worth of poster frames because on top of the theater layout, we, are de we have decorated the walls with uh posters movie posters um well mostly movie posters there's actually a a cup the star wars posters are not specifically of the movies but like just a stormtrooper one and one that looks like a world war ii uh photograph with an at-at in it and there's a really elaborate photo uh like artwork of yoda that my mom got me that cost like a couple hundred dollars and um a very expensive, uh, already framed poster of the Destroy All Monsters Japanese uh, movie poster, uh, complete with the Godzilla march in its actual um, key and actual um, uh, notes along the borders of the poster. Uh, so we got some really interesting posters, plus uh, we got an $8 one um from a, a, sh a, mo a shop called The Exchange, which does, um, you know, DVDs, CDs, vinyl, video games, posters, and then paraphernalia and stuff. So we got that for like eight bucks and framed it. And um, uh, we got, my nephew had a Shaun of the Dead poster. Um, so, I mean, we got stuff. Uh, there's My Little Ponies as the Avengers artwork I got from a comic shop. And that's up there. That's where I also got the ATAT -AT photo. I'll, I'll post pictures with the episode. Um, but, uh, suffice to say that a lot of the stuff we already had, we just repurposed, and then, um, we didn't, this isn't an elaborate, um, theater setup. We don't have 5.1 surround sound, we don't even have a sound bar, um, we do have dim, we have, do have dimmer lights for the movie, for the, for that room, um, and, um... I think that's about it. Like, um, like the main thing, the main draw is the television screen, which is really well done, which is really nice. Really, it, it was beautiful to watch that uh, Greyhound on it, and um, and Rescuers Down Under looked fantastic on it. So it's a great picture, uh, great choice in TVs by my nephew and dad, and um, and then we sit back in the recliners and we can pop some popcorn and whatnot. And the main thing is because they're leather seating, uh, we just have to be careful not to damage the couches, uh, which is thankful because I have a little butthead around here somewhere. Where are you, butthead? Where are you? Where are you hiding, butthead? She's off somewhere. Uh, yeah, I have a little butthead who uh, did, was declawed. So, uh, yeah, that's the only reason my mom got really nice leather uh, couches was because she knew I wouldn't have a butthead scratching it up all the time. Um, but she has taken quite a liking. I have to post a picture I have of her sitting on the couch like it's her like it's her seat. Like, it's her, like it, this is hers now. I sit here. This is where I sit. She also likes the beanbags that we have. Um... But uh, our little home theater setup is fairly basic. Like, in terms of that sort of setup, most 
like of the more elaborate ones, we'll have the 5.1 surround sound. We'll have much nicer theater theater style seating uh, setups. We'll probably have much even even bigger TVs because ours is fairly sta- you know like. I think it's like 70 some odd inches, but they can, you know, some might even do projectors or, you know, much bigger wall TVs and whatnot. So it feels more like it's a big screen TV. This one only takes up half the wall, uh, if if not a little over, like, um, like, a, what's a, what's that, uh, like, not three quarters, but like a, like a five eighths of the wall, maybe a little over half. But uh, yeah, it's, it's. Not the biggest, but it's also what we can afford. <laughs> I mean, even that was put like they were. My parents were have been kind of you know recuperating from all of the spending in order to get this done, <laughs> and the fruits of our labor, including an entire day's worth of hanging up posters, like literally just it, it was probably on the upwards of eight hours work between me and my mom to hang up these posters, and um, it was. It was quite the thing, you know, a day's work to put up, not a, not a whole day's work, a couple hours work to uh, put the TV up and put it together. Um, and the, and it's, it's, it's fantastic. I love it. I love it. And um, I'm going to be definitely using it uh, for watching stuff when I get the chance now uh, instead of just in my room. But um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great setup. I love it so far. And... Um, I, I, you know, once again, it's, it's not, it's not very high end. Uh, there's no, some people may get the 3d TVs, um, really high end 4k ones. Uh, they, we only got the two cup holders in one of the couches. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, and then not to mention the fact that we're, we're using Wi-Fi to stream it and the connection can get a bit spotty. So if we want to keep it, um, even better, we may look into getting a sort of Google Mesh style uh, expansion to the Wi-Fi signal, a uh, sort of signal booster. But ultimately, it's a fantastic setup. Like it takes a, it takes like a second to buffer um, and get the good good uh, visual quality. And depending on the service, like Spectrum will come in and out, but Disney Plus and Apple TV work perfectly. Um, without any real interruptions, so we may not even have to worry about it. But at any rate, this whole theater setup was a was a wonderful investment, and it's been it's and hopefully once uh once the whole gestures at everything starts to starts to wind down and we can start inviting people over again, I'm gonna have to invite my friends over and and share the share the wealth as it were, enjoy the movies on the big screen, so to speak. But um. Yeah, for a for the fact that I can't go out to the theaters anymore. So if I, you know, except for like drive-ins, which cost, which is not um, financially uh, conducive for me to spend money on at this point, um, especially if I'm going by since I'm mostly a by myself theater goer. It's it's better off. Uh, I'm better off watching the movies here at home, and especially since they're releasing them now on on uh, streaming services. I'm better off staying here at home. At the home theater, so I will go back to um, the um, theaters once they once things start to reopen, as that sort of trickles in. But 
Um, my main issue there is until I can get another source of income, either through Patreon or through uh, a day job, I'm not going to be able to afford to go to the theater because my parents are not going to keep backing my movie addiction <laughs> uh, and my quote-unquote popcorn addiction <laughs> um, for this whole time, you know, for the whole time that I'm staying here. I do need to get a day job and bring in some level of income. It's just... I'm ha- kind of hesitant because gestures at everything around gestures at everything uh, is going on, and I'm you know we're living with two seventy year olds, um, one of whom is a smoker, and uh, and I'm concerned about bringing something home, so I don't want to work in something that's too and, and of course going to the theater would would um, might risk that as well, so I have to be extra careful once the things open up if the number if our if those numbers don't go down if the backstreet boys ticket sales don't go down so to speak oh god i love that it's such a stupid way a uh, uh, metaphor uh for what's going on <laughs> i love it but um yeah uh if you have the ability to aff- if even if you have the ability to afford it and you are willing to invest that money in it. I highly recommend the home theater experience. Like even just the two movies I've watched so far have been wonderful to watch on this whole setup. Like even just the basic sound coming from the TV is great for this th- whole thing. Like my nephew's even gotten to the point of playing playing um, Ghost of Tsushima on uh, on the screen, and it looks beautiful and it's got it's you know it's great for gaming as well so yeah it's if you can do it do it having this home theater is well it's only just started and we took a and it took a whole lot of work and a whole lot of money to get it going but i'm really glad to share this with my family and it's part of the reason i kind of don't want to abandon this house like if something like down the line if my parents pass on and we we have the house I don't want to leave because I don't want to lose the home theater. I kind of want to keep that. <laughs> but uh, at any rate, yeah, it, this home theater is great so far. And if you have one, uh, good for you. I, I'm part of the club now. But uh, if you don't have one and you, you get the chance to set one up, do it. It is fantastic to have this set, kind of setup. Even a basic level one like the one I have, it's great. So, yeah. Um that's that's my home theater experience so far. Uh, I will report continually report back with uh, my with my uh, experiences doing the home theater. Uh, but for right now, yeah, this was this was a lot of fun. I like it so far, and I'm I can't wait to uh, try out uh, more stuff. And thankfully, because it's a Samsung Smart TV, I actually get access to HBO Max on it. Thank you. Thanks for nothing, Roku. I finally abandoned the Roku. Yeah, that was the other thing that happened this week. I switched back from Roku to um, to uh, Chromecast because I can't. Ke- I, I'm gonna lose HBO Go at the end of the month, and I can't wait for Roku to finally get off their ass and um, make a deal with uh, Warner Media and NBC Universal over what, how to get Peacock TV and HBO Max on their service. So I. Man, so between the Chromecast and the Samsung TV, I have access to all of the usual services. So I've got we got Amazon Prime, Hulu, Netflix, Apple TV on the Samsung. Chromecast won't um, take Apple TV, sadly. Um, but uh, HBO Max, 
as well as Peacock, which is only on Chromecast for right now because Samsung hasn't apparently made a deal with them yet. So Peacock is not... A, I've been wanting to do a Peacock review for a couple of weeks now, but I haven't had the chance to experience it because I started off with a Roku. It didn't have it. And now I finally got a Chromecast. They can watch it. So I can actually start watching crap on Peacock. But um, I have to wait to give my report, you know, give my report on uh, Peacock and if that's worth your money and time uh, later. But uh, so yeah, so that's... Uh, that's what I've been up to, and that's the home theater experience for me so far. And um, that about does it for this week's episode, which means it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely listening to us on our homepage at GumbyCatNetworks.com. If you want to keep up to date on all the new episodes as they come out, you can do so by whitelisting us in your ad blocker, favoriting us on your web browser, and checking out all of our other fine programming. We've got Living in the Stacks, the whole back catalog there. Uh, we're hoping to try and get some new episodes up, but, you know... We're not exactly the in the best shape of things to uh, be producing content continuously during the gestures at everything. But uh, in the meantime, we've been re- steadily releasing our uh, Dungeons and Dragon Tides episodes. We are in the midst of the first gym battle for the run, so to stay, you know, check in on that. Uh, the new episode should be out this week, where uh, the rest of the team gets a chance at uh, challenging Ophelia, and. Um, and uh, be sure to check out all Donna stuff over at the Snarkcasts. Once more with Feeling, Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, The Family Business. And if you yourself are a podcaster and would like to join our fledgling little network, send us any uh, messages to uh, G- uh, Networks at gmail.com, and we'll get back to you see if you're a good fit. You can also uh, find this podcast on your various podcast providers. We're on Apple uh, Podcasts, Google Play, uh, iHeartMedia, Speaker, Stitcher, uh, Spotify. Apparently, um... Uh, you can add your podcast to Amazon. I'm going to look into adding myself there if I'm not there already. But, um, you know, wherever you're listening to this podcast, leave a five-star rating and review. Let people know that you like this show and that they should check it out as well. You can also do a um, – you can also find us on social media, facebook.com slash popcornjunkie, twitter at cornjunkiepod, letterboxd at, po- at cornjunkiepod. Uh, I'm going to post um, those images on Instagram as well as Facebook and Twitter. Uh, so you can um, so you can check them out on Instagram at Popcorn Junkie Podcast. I'm gonna try and get back into um, Stardust this week. Hopefully, I've been putting that off for too long, but uh, I'm also I've also been putting off a lot of things recently. So I'm gonna try and get back into it. Um, and then, of course, you can support the show on Patreon, patreon.com slash popcornjunkie. I have a buddy, Mar, uh, who does who has been suggesting fantastic content for me uh, as my first patron. And uh, sadly, they are in the they are in Portland right now. So they are caught up in the, you know, uh, they got a lot of things going on. Uh, my buddy Mar does. So I'm not going to. You know, ask them to kind of, you know, suggest content to me for right now. I'm going to wait until I know that they're safe and okay. I'm not going to push them. But uh, if you want to check out some of, the, you know, check out some of the past week's episodes to get, get an idea of the kind of stuff that we, that I watched thanks to them. Uh, mainly, I watched uh, Raising Dion, uh, Fast Color, uh, um, um, a scanner darkly, Fifth Element. Good suggestions overall. And if you would like to suggest content for me to review, you can do so on patreon.com slash popcornjunkie. No tier system. Pay what you can. Uh, and then you can suggest content for me to review. So you can suggest uh, movies that for me to check out or TV shows. 
uh, that you think I, that you think I'd either like or dislike even. Um, or you can also suggest uh, make a better movie or munch alongs for me to do. I do have you know there are ten episodes. If you do subscribe to me on Patreon, you have access to all ten episodes of Make a Better Movie, which is me kind of breaking down what movies that I think have issues and how to make them better. Uh, they were tied into new releases at the time, so one of them is actually uh, how to make a better Defiant or Defiance, which is. Which uh, kind of caught the, caught my one Jewish friend off guard, so I made sure to. I never heard back from her uh, what she thought of my, um, but what she thought of that episode. But whatever. Uh, if you, but you can hear like make a better um, man of steel. What, what were the episodes? Hold on. Now I gotta pull up my Patreon to see what the episodes all were. Oh, I know. No, I got all the ep- I got all the files. So I've got um, make a better the purge election year. Miss Peregrine, uh, Miss Peregrine, Man of Steel, Jaws 3D, Iron Man 3, Alien vs. Predator, um, as well, Van Helsing, Punisher 2004, as well as uh, Munchalongs, which are essentially riff track style um, commentary tracks to go alongside a movie. I've made ones for Ants, Bambi, uh, The Devil Inside, Fear.com. Uh, friend, friend request, Muppet Treasure Island, uh, Never Say Never Again, The Tigger Movie, Towering Inferno, Jurassic Park 3. So if you want to check out those, the, all 10 episodes of each series are on my Patreon for as little as $1 a month. And you can suggest content for those or just stuff for me to review for the main feed. And you can help me out there. Uh, as If you support the show on Patreon, it would make it easier for me to do um, those retrospectives I've been talking about. Um, the ones I have planned, I'm going to produce pilots, essentially. The, the reviews for the first episodes of each. For, um, uh, oh god, what do they call them? Hail to the King, the Godzilla, a Godzilla retrospective. Poke Cinema, a Pokemon movie retrospective. Uh, your this is your life, Charlie Brown, a Peanuts retrospective, and I'm still thinking up one for the Disney one. Um, I'm trying to think of uh, a good a good title for it, but basically, it's I want to do a Disney full Disney animated movie retrospective, and then do once the main series, the officially licensed ones, are taken care of, plus a couple of ones that they do in the mean uh, plus a couple of ones that are unofficial like a goofy movie wait hold on let me pull up uh uh the list because i know song of the south i want to cover song of the south uh with that as well because as much as disney wants to forget it happened it did happen uh let me take a look take a look at the list of their entries on wikipedia Disney Animation Studios, list of feature films. Associated Productions, Relax and Dragon, Victory Through Air Power, Song of the South, So Dear to My Heart, Mary Poppins, Bedknobs and Broomsticks, Pete's Dragon, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Enchanted and Mary Poppins Returns. So, let me include those as like the afterwards for the main ones. Plus, I'm going to cover the, plus, I do want to cover the directed DVD. Ones, especially the ones, especially since a bunch of them are now available on Disney Plus. There's no excuse for it now, uh, except for like so- Song of the South, since that one's being buried and you, it's hard to, harder to find. But um, yeah, there's no excuse for a bunch of these to um, 
to you know for since it's so readily available now for me not to cover it anyway i still need to come up with a name for it um i'll work on it but at the same point so but yeah uh uh, I, if you want to help make those retrospectives a reality, the best way to do that is to um, is to support the show on Patreon. Patreon.com slash popcorn junkie. As little as one dollar a month uh, is 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 a big is a big help for me. So thank you. So thank you to Mar for supporting me through all of this. And uh, if you want to join them, you can do so at patreon.com slash popcornjunkie. And if there's anything else you want to say to me uh, outside of the social media, you can send all your messages to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. I'll get back to you privately, and if you, or if you want me to address something on the podcast, let me know, and I'll say it to you on the mic. That's going to do it for this week. Until next time, I'm John Bailey, and joke's on you, Cinemark and Regal. Now I got my own theater to be a popcorn junkie. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio. N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork. And as always, today and tomorrow, now and forever, Black Lives Matter and trans rights are human rights. <laughs> <laughs>